Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start. Sitting in the backseat on a Saturday night. Places racing past me, spitting hats and light. I wish that you would ask me if I'm feeling all right. The shadows you were casting nearly swallowed the night. All right. So not only... Uh, is this a, a big weekend for us as Americans because yesterday was Bastille Day, but we're recording this and uh, France just won the World Cup. Oh, you uh, you stole my big idea, but yes, uh, oh, the, damn it. the French, the French uh, won an exciting kind of up and down game against uh, upstart Croatia, four to two, and and. Um, <laughs> You know, it was an interesting game. Uh, Croatia kind of dominated early and then fell behind. Uh, they fought back into the game, but then France just sort of proved to be too much in the second half. Um, uh, you know, I, I can just make my big idea be that Kylian Mbappe is worth all the money in the world. Um, he's really incredible. And uh, everyone who uh, dismissed Paul Pogba as a... Uh, kind of selfish me 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 player uh is wrong and is an idiot are, are they talking about paul pogba or his manchester united coach uh, who's who's the me 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 player <laughs> i think it's uh yeah good point the funny thing is with with uh mbappe you saying he deserves all the money in the world is that he already got all the money in the world and i guess he'll just get it again this is a, this is a very good point they showed a graphic that uh that at 19 he is making uh, over twenty million dollars a year uh, as his salary from PSG uh, slash the uh, the Western Wing of the Qatari government. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's mind-boggling. I mean, at nineteen, I was working uh, like I was working summer you know, summertime in a restaurant. I think for for eight or nine dollars an hour. Yeah. Um. I mean, <laughs> you know, good good for him. He 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 deserves it because he's incredible at what he does. Um, but it's just it, you know, I was watching, I was watching with Emily, and and she was completely flabbergasted by that, and I couldn't really blame her because it was it was nuts. Uh, but I, she uh, she was here before the game started, and they were they were doing a segment on Fox talking about the Croatian players uh, whose, whose families were made refugees by uh, the conflict in Yugoslavia and uh, it's like it hit her really hard and so she she latched on to Croatia and, and uh, took took it took it rough when they lost well I mean if there's a way to get invested in a game that's one way to do it I, I guess the thing I think about with this this young team and you mentioned the 19 year old and Paul Pogba is 25, I believe. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just imagine that in you know, 10 years from now, let's, let's say 2028, 20, after France has won three straight World Cups, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that, that someone you know, kind of writes that history of, of this team because I think it would be, I mean, Jonathan Abrams, start getting ready. Start doing some interviews now and, and we can see them, see them throughout because 
uh, I think it'll make for a great story as these people mature from from kids literally to to these storied legendary adults. Yeah, and and you mentioned Jonathan Abrams. Uh, I know that you just finished uh, a, a book similar to this, but Jonathan Abrams is uh, dating back to his days at Grantland is kind of the the master of the oral history. Yeah. Um, and so remind remind me again, you just which musical oral history did you just finish? I just read Please Kill Me, which is about really the birth and existence, which is a lot shorter than than I than I realized of of punk music really in in New York, but it also goes a little bit to the UK. And I, I mean, it's it's incredible because these are interviews with people like the Ramones and Richard Hell and Lou Reed and all these major players at that time and you're you're sitting down with them and they're recounting their their years in New York City at this at this very very wild time and um it was an incredible read and I, I know that we've both enjoyed another uh music world history in the past year correct yes uh we both read and actually I think we're probably pretty close uh, ish to the the anniversary of me finishing uh, "Meet Me in the Bathroom," which is uh, Lizzie Goodman's oral history of another uh, pivotal time in New York music history, which was the early two thousands revival of rock and roll in the form of the Strokes and the Killers and and a lot of bands that we now kind of think of as indie rock bands. Um, but you you mentioned. Uh, that you were reading Please Kill Me and that reminded me that I also have that book in, and I think you have it in uh, electronic format is that true? Um, I For this one I got a hard copy because I, I didn't have a hard copy of Meet Me in the Bathroom and that would have been in retrospect that would have been really really nice um, at the same time it's kind of funny to be at your desk and have a book that says Please Kill Me on it <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so I, I got excited, and I actually read the first few pages of it. Um, so I think that that might be my my next reading project. But um, oral histories are really fascinating. I've read a good number of them. I, I last year I read uh, Jonathan Abrams, the aforementioned uh, sports sports writer man, uh, wrote a book called Boys Among Men, which was about the the phenomenon uh, of high school basketball players that were actually able to go straight from high school to the NBA. Uh, And there are a lot of familiar ones that turned out to be great big stars like Kevin Garnett. And uh, believe it or not, Jermaine O'Neal was a really great player for a long time. Yeah, he Uh, was. But, but just as importantly, oh, sorry, uh, our our favorite NBA player of all time, Kobe Bryant, who uh, I don't think is going to be joining the pod as a guest anytime soon. Uh, no, he's uh, he's on the same list with Goose Gossage. Um, but for every one of those guys, uh, there were several uh, high school phenoms. <coughs> bless you! Oh my God! Thanks. Uh, who? who thought they could make the jump to the NBA and flamed out spectacularly. Yeah. Uh, like Corleone Young or Ndubi Ebi. And you're wondering correctly, 
who the fuck those people are. Uh, and I was wondering who those people were until I read this book. And, and it gives you a really interesting picture of, you know, what it's like being someone with this massive weight of expectation on your shoulders and then, frankly, just totally failing to live up to it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I recall reading that book very quickly because it was, it was such an interesting read and, you know, there, there have been kind of high profile oral histories of ESPN, of Saturday Night Live. Um, it's gone into podcast form and, and Jim Miller, the guy who did the, uh, ESPN and SNL oral histories did kind of an oral history podcast uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and it was really kind of a specialty of Grantland. Uh, so I'm, I, it's something, it's a genre of which I'm a fairly avid consumer. I'm, I'm actually looking at my bookshelf right now. And I can see uh, the copy of Jonathan Abrams' follow-up, which is an oral history on The Wire uh, uh-huh. that I very eagerly bought and have not read yet. Uh, but one day I'm going to sit down with it, and I think I'm going to really enjoy it a lot. Um, and I, I think, I think we probably share something in a, a reason for enjoying these. Um, yeah, I mean, ahead, you mentioned the the names of those people that that I I don't immediately. Uh, maybe I'm familiar with Corleone Young. Uh, I would be surprised but, by that. Yeah, it's just a name I feel like I've seen or read before. It's like, wow, you you really flamed out. The incredible thing about these oral histories is it's just it's so conversational because it's people and (laughs) someone structures in a way so they're all talking about the same thing. But there's no there's no like pretext or anything. It's just on the page and a story is getting told with all these different people. It's it's in one moment many different voices but also one voice uh it's one story that moves along with all these different voices telling it and that is just it's incredible to read because you don't get that in any other in in any other medium really and i haven't listened to any oral history podcasts but there's something about reading on the page that just has uh such an impact on me and i get so excited to read about them yeah i mean it it really um, it, it's something amazing. There, there's something amazing about how much, like when I was reading Meet Me in the Bathroom, how much I felt like I was in those dingy rock clubs in Manhattan. Or yeah. I was there in Brooklyn when real estate didn't cost a trillion dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was in a loft with the guys who started TV on the radio. Uh, and there, there's something, there's something about that, that even goes beyond another form that does some of the same things and, and uses first person, you know, contribution a lot, which is the documentary. Yeah, which is something that I I consume a lot, as we talked about last week a little bit. I d- went through a Ken Burns uh, Vietnam war documentary and it it has a lot of the same beats which is people telling their story but the thing that it's it's like any other book you read be it a fantasy book or just a a historical fiction book or or uh, just a normal run-of-the-mill i don't know a jonathan franson book 
because you only have the words on the page, it is it is for me easier and more exciting to put yourself there, to, to be at CBGB's, um, to be at these really raucous uh, clubs in in uh, London and in, in the UK in the early 70s, uh, to to be in the Detroit area with, with Iggy Pop, who's, who's either covered in peanut butter or glitter or rolling in glass. And it, <laughs> with a doc, with a documentary, which are real things that happened, um, with the documentary, it's like you see what's there. And with this, I have to imagine, okay, am I going to take Iggy Pop's view of this? Am I going to take one of the Ashton brothers? Am I going to take another person that was there, a manager? You've, you've got all these different perspectives of it. As opposed to with the camera, you have to accept the perspective as it is there. Um, so it kind of it, it kind of takes some of the fun away. Well, and and I think that documentaries can can avoid some of that by getting contributions from people with differing perspectives on what happened in a situation. But you know that was it's a big thing with Meet Me in the Bathroom, and, and you know hopefully you've already read it. But if not, you know I, I don't think this is spoiling too much there's a a controversy that a a lot of people that were you know interviewed for that book talked about how uh ryan adams essentially was the facilitator of uh albert hammond's heroin habit and uh he he denies this uh pretty pretty vehemently um you know but if you were there, you know, if you were living in New York in 2004 and, and you were part of this community, that's probably something you would have been exposed to. And you probably would have been exposed to multiple sides of that story. And you're like, well, what do I believe? Uh, so, like, it, it's just it's very interesting to have, you know, to have conflict brought into it, you know. And I, I think that's a natural – I think that's a natural aim – of an oral history because to me I think to me you know if Lizzie Goodman were just writing a history of you know a non-oral history of that time inevitably you know the final word on you know what happened and what you should think about it you know you said it it's the authors it's Lizzie Goodman's but you know, I think there's something about an oral history that that goes even beyond like what a documentary uh, filmmaker, a documentarian does, and the aim is just to paint a picture of what was happening and when it was happening, and and I think yeah. that's really cool, and that's one of the you know it's one of the things I loved uh, about Grantland. I, Grantland's sports writing uh, was, I, I mean. Look, I like a lot of the people that write, you know, that wrote for Grantland. I like some of the people that write for The Ringer now. But a lot of the sports coverage is kind of so-so. Yeah. There, However, are, there are 12 different places you can go uh, just at the drop of the hat to to give the analysis of the Jeff Green signing with the Wizards. Right. I don't really want to read that. I'm not that interested. And Zach Lowe does a great job. But... Give me the oral history of Boogie Nights. No one else is doing that. No one else is going to put in the time to do that because it's so time and resource in, in, intensive. And to, to interview Burt Reynolds and, and Paul Thomas Anderson and everything else, that's that's a real project. And then you have to do it well, which fortunately they did. 
Well, so, okay, so are we saying, because, you know, I also, I was thinking specifically of there's no other place where where you got the oral history of the malice of the palace. Yes. Um, which was, uh, like, I remember, I remember the aftermath of the malice of the palace very well. Like, I remember being in a in the car on the way to school with my mom and the radio, like, somebody on the radio talking about the fact that Ron Artest was going to be suspended for the whole season. Um, and, and that was, that was wild. So there was kind of an added element when I was reading that piece written by Jonathan Abrams in 2012, uh, and just kind of getting an added, you know, I was able to inject, you know, what I remembered from that time into my experience with that piece as well, which I, you know, I thought was really neat. Um, The tricky thing here is that in the case of these books, Meet Me in the Bathroom, Please Kill Me, uh, Boys Among Men, um, when you sign a book contract, I, you know, I, I believe there's an understanding of, you know, this is going to take a while. Uh, this is going to take a while to do. We've got to conduct all these interviews. Um, and then we've got to figure out how to piece it all together into a story. But with, with the online version, you know, I think part of the reason there's only one place to do this or, or, or to find this is that it's probably really hard to do an undertaking like that unless you're at a, an outlet that is fine with, you know, burning money and time rather than well we need six blog posts up tomorrow yeah yeah i I, that i know that lizzie goodman has talked about just the struggle with putting together uh the meet me in the bathroom and how how long it took and how many times she just just wanted to quit you kind of touched on a little bit earlier which is i think the the mention of Albert Hammond and Ryan Adams and the the who who led him to to pick up his heroin habit. Um, I think one thing that's actually nice about these and when they're put together is I think they're one of the more objective things. Now I don't know what they're cutting, I don't know what they're bringing in, but because you get all these different perspectives, be it about Boogie Nights and and the length of the the uh script itself or or whatever the case may be in in any of these books you as a reader have to make a decision whereas i feel like with documentary films to get from the beginning of the film to the end of the film the the director takes it in a direction that uh, sorry for that but uh the director moves it along with with a little more of i don't want to call it an agenda but certainly a a purpose that that you can have things that are unresolved in a book like this, whereas I think more often than not with a documentary, there is there is some kind of resolution. The troops come home. Why yeah. did the troops come home? Why did the war start? Things like that. Whereas, you know, how did Albert Hammond get in this situation? I read the same thing you did. There wasn't an opinion that was uh, kind of – no one came to a conclusion in that. It's just whatever I take from it. Yeah, and, you know, and – you know, obviously, war history is a, a very, very popular genre of literature that will sustain itself until the end of time. 
Uh, but, you know, you, you point out, I think correctly, that there's a lot of what happened. When did the soldiers come home? Why did the soldiers come home? You know, what do we know kind of secondhand that the soldiers did after they come home? Uh, but there's not a lot of, I was a soldier. Here's what I thought when I was coming home. Yeah. Here is Here are the seven things that were on my mind as I wondered, how am I going to have a normal life after fighting in Vietnam? Can I have a normal life after fighting in Vietnam? And, and I think that's really... I think that's really cool, I, you know, and, and that's something that I would probably be more apt to read. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, the, I, I think ultimately why, why oral histories are so cool is that, you know, all, all literature to some extent or another kind of evolved out of a, a storytelling tradition. It evolved out of, you know, the way to pass down our stories so that the next generation knows who we were and what we did here and why we did it. The way, you know, the way to communicate that information was through storytelling. And so, like, I think in a lot of ways there's just kind of something innate. It's like in our bones that, you know, we, we give... We give more weight to something that we know is firsthand and we know that the person talking about something knows what they're talking about because they were there. And I I think, you know, I think it's inherently when you're getting it firsthand, it feels like Albert Hammond isn't talking to Lizzie Goodman. It feels like he's talking to you. Yeah. And that... It's a really effective, you know, it is, it is a time and incredibly labor intensive way to communicate information to people. But I think the end result is that it's really effective and it's really, you know, to, to use a word that we, we overuse as a society when there are good alternatives, it's really interesting. Yeah. And the other thing that occurs to me, especially when you're giving the context of, of, uh, a war documentary and all the millions and millions of war books that that are out there in the as opposed to this conversational aspect and and the people thinking about why the great thing about oral histories is so often we talk about well history is written by the winners the nice thing about these books and they're really more about a a subject as opposed to a conflict but in both of these books these histories of of rock music it's it's written by the winners and the losers to a certain extent like ron and scott ashton were members of the stooges you i didn't know their names i knew iggy pop's name but you know and not that these guys were winners or losers and not that the mc5 were winners or losers but whether you were someone who did really well or did really poorly or died of an overdose really early or later on you in an oral history get to tell your story and so often in in the history of the world it's only the people that won that get to tell it and so that that and just the sense of place um that's really why i love reading these books for those be it the uh lebron james's or the carmelo anthony's or the corleone young's you can get both stories yep all right 
So that, I think that's all really cool. I, I want to close with, I think, two questions for you. Okay. Uh, one is, now that you have read Please Kill Me, uh, do you have kind of a favorite tidbit from the book that you, you'd like to share? Oh, that's that's so difficult. Uh, the one thing that's that fine. I will share um, in the context of having read Meet Me in the Bathroom as well is that there is a moment in Meet Me in the Bathroom, and I believe it's in Poland, but it's in, it's in Eastern Europe. Uh, Karen O falls off the stage, and basically that is a huge moment for her and her career, and she gets cleaned up. Like she was, she talks about drinking a lot, and that woke her up because she could have broken her back and and really been in a bad situation. In Please Kill Me, at about the same point in the book, Patty Smith, who is the probably the biggest female artist in the book, I'd say Blondie, Debbie Harry is is important, but not as much a focal point. Uh, Patty Smith also falls off a stage somewhat early in her career. I think it's after horses. It might be radio, uh, their, their next, their next album. She falls off a stage and breaks her neck and it has a huge effect on her career. And there's a lot of talk about it. So the eeriness and the parallel of that was, was kind of chilling for me and just awe inspiring because I'm like, history repeats itself, whether it knows it or not. (laughs) Nice. And the thing that I'd like to close with, I think, is, you know, uh, we've talked about some of the oral histories that Grantland was famous for. Uh, Boogie Nights, The Malice at the Palace. Uh, I think, you know, they did one on the New York sports radio station, WFAN, which was, you know, kind of a big deal. It gave us some some well-known uh, talk radio personalities. Um but my personal favorite is one that was published really in the early days of Grantland. Grantland started in 2011, and in June of that year, uh, one of their first kind of really long features was on the National Sports Daily. And somebody had the idea that they were going to do a national, a national in scope, all sports newspaper and publish it every day. And that is batshit crazy uh, if you are working from the east coast uh just for timing timing and deadline purposes alone that would never work in a trillion years uh and it didn't it didn't work at all uh it it died in a year and a half but you know it was also um you know it it gave us some really interesting people as well frank deford was its first editor-in-chief um, Chris Mortensen worked there. Uh, oh. Mike Lupica, uh, Ivan Mazel, uh, famously Tony Kornheiser turned it down and did not uh, did not go. Um, but I, I I was wondering if you had a favorite Grantland oral history. Uh, so I don't think I consumed as many of them as I maybe should have. I mentioned the Bookie Nights one, and that was a lot of fun because it wasn't. They did a lot of sports and sports adjacent ones, but one thing that I would recommend going back and reading uh, is the the one about the uh, Orlando Magic, the the mid nineties Orlando yeah. Magic that had Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal on it, because it's something that I was obviously too young to to take in, but that time between uh, Michael Jordan's uh, first retirement and re-entry into the league um that magic team should have probably been 
really really good and was very close to adding chris weber to the the frame too and it just didn't happen and some missed free throws by oh i forget his name right now but nick anderson nick anderson that's i i knew it was anderson i forgot what his first name was but the course of the nba's history changes with a couple small things right there including some free throws so it's pretty incredible yeah it's a great story and uh do you know who wrote that along with the oral history of the early 2000s Kings team that was one of the best teams that never was and the Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson Rockets that were another one of the greatest teams that never was do you know who wrote all of those uh I'm gonna know when you tell me Jonathan Abrams the man is gifted that is that should be everyone's goal in life is find the thing that you are the best in the world at and right. then do it because everyone is going to appreciate your expertise in it and he has done that so i appreciate jonathan abrams yep uh and, and you know if you are interested at all in basketball if you're curious about you know the the news that the nba is open to reconsidering their uh their age rules uh you really should read Boys Among Men. Uh, it was very interesting. I flew through it in a couple days tops. Um, I would highly recommend. Great. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? No, no. I think we I think we covered how great oral histories are and I why. I think we did too. I think we did too. Um, so if you have thoughts, if you have oral histories from somewhere else around the web uh, or in a book that, that you really love that we didn't talk about and you want to share – uh, drop us a line. Uh, we're on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And now it is time, as it is every week, for that magical moment when our friend uh, unburdens his soul and uh, checks something off his apology list. It's Pierce's sorry. What do you got this week? Uh, so I, I, I guess I watched uh, a number of Italian movies or movies in which Italian was spoken recently. So I, I turned on the Duolingo and have have been doing Italian. And let me tell you, I'm two days in, and it tells me that I'm 12% fluent in Italian already. Uh, but I swear I've learned like six words, <laughs> mostly just boy, man, girl, woman. Um, but it reminded me, it, it made me remember a, a time in French class because I took French in high school and uh, then into college where we had to do a project on some, you know, some aspect of French art. So I, most of us did stuff on Impressionism. And for whatever reason, because it was a high school language class, one of those days included, you know, we painted like whoever, whichever French artist we uh, uh, d- did our project on. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry this week. Uh, not only, not only did I put together a really terrible painting. Um, I, I'm sure I was going after some Monet painting that I had. Uh, I think that's who I did, and so I was trying to mimic that. But I'm really sorry for the position that I put my French teacher in because I came into class one day and she had put up all our paintings, and I realized that. My painting was so bad that she very carefully and thoughtfully put it up and she put it up sideways because she couldn't tell what the right side up was. So <laughs> never, thought, I'm oh. so sorry for putting her in that position because I'm wow. sure she's like, this is bad, but I have to put it up anyways and then put it up incorrectly. I was hoping what you were going to say is that she put it up sideways 
because she could tell exactly what the right side up was and it was so bad that she was trying to give you credit for being avant-garde and Picasso-esque. Uh, no, but, un- but unfortunately not. Utter utter befuddlement is a, a good way to go with that too. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, <bad. laughs> um, so I'll I'll close. I, I know I said you stole my my big idea from pop culture uh, with the World Cup, and and that's true. Uh, but I had one that I meant to use last week before I remembered that I had seen the Mister Rogers movie that made me cry for ninety minutes, um, and and that's that. Uh, over the last couple weekends, uh, I have devoted a great deal of time. Uh, Emily was out of town at a wedding, um, and I I used that time to uh, binge uh, most of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, yeah, and uh, I I watched. I realized that I had a, a Google Play credit for some reason, um, and, and so yesterday afternoon. I watched the final Harry Potter movie, and I have to say, it was a wild ride. Uh, I didn't watch the first one or The Goblet of Fire, uh, but those are really great movies. Yeah, it's still, it, it, the, the, I think the most, as far as movie making goes, the coolest facts about those movies is who is the director of the third movie? And the fourth movie. Oh, I didn't realize he was the fourth, yeah. too. Uh, the man of gravity fame himself, Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, Oscar Oscar award winning director Alfonso Cuaron directed a Harry Potter movie. Uh, it's, it's pretty it's, wild. They're so cool. They're yeah. so cool. And, and you know, I was I was taken back to to what a great, what a really incredible set of stories those were. Um, I you know I have I have pretty vivid memories of uh, of my parents reading the first Harry Potter book to to me and my brother. I, I remember being in second grade when uh, our our teacher read the Chamber of Secrets to us. And th- these are really one of the things that I, I realized, you know, and I think that we talked about is that, you know, those stories get pretty dark and adult. Um, and and it's very it's very intriguing to me now uh, that you know I, that I buried myself into this world uh, as a pretty young kid. I mean the uh, the the final book came out I want to say around 2010 maybe is that too late? I know the movie I know the the last movie was released in 2011, which means I'm probably too late. Um, come on, intern, get to it, get to it. I'm, oh, I'm pretty two, sure 2007, 2007. So yeah. when I was 15, um, and uh, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff in there that's really heavy for a 15 year old, and even more so when you're an 11 year old. But it's stuff that's happening to 11 to 17 year old people mostly, and you know, it's kind of a fascinating reminder that. You know, sometimes stuff happens in your life that makes you grow up really fast. And, you know, I, I think I think this I think this set of stories captured a lot of that, you know, and, and used this uh, magical world, literally this magical world to to teach a lot of important lessons about perseverance and trusting other people. And, and I, I just I love so much that it's, you know. 
that it's had a bit of a renaissance. There was a time, I think in January, they put all of the movies on HBO for a while. Uh, I, I talked about The Ringer earlier. Our, our, our friends at Binge Mode are, are doing a, a ridiculous deep dive into Harry Potter like they did with Game of Thrones last summer. Um, you know, Harry Potter was the shit. Yeah, that's accurate. It's accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So on that note, that is the end of the show. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod, or drop us a line at it's pretty okay at gmail.com. You can find this in every episode at our home on the web, www.prettyokaypod.com, where you will also find music writing by Ian, uh, occasional musings on life by Pierce. Um, and every now and then, I share some of the stuff that I've been reading from around the internet. Um, I know I've, I haven't done one in a while uh, because I've been kind of concentrated on, on reading books. Uh, but uh, it's summer. I'm getting back into the Internet. So uh, maybe we'll have some links for you soon. Um, you can also subscribe to our feed so you never miss an episode. Check us out on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, we'll show up every Tuesday uh, without you having to go looking for us. If you do that, please do us a huge favor. Subscribe, uh, rate, review, uh, leave a comment, or just you know tell a friend about the show. We would we would love to uh, to be able to share what we do with them as well. Yeah, we'll be back again next week as always to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Thanks for listening. Bye.